Welcome to A Shame of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's keyboard cat of a TV show. My name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Brian, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Douglas? Uh, Douglas. Wow. Very formal. I'm doing okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Um, we're here to talk about, uh, you know, season four, episode five and all. But uh, a big announcement was made uh, over the last week. Um I guess Game of Thrones season seven is due to release or start on July. What was it sixteenth of this year? I don't recall offhand. Ah, uh, but you heard the news that it's going to finally happen, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's like three months away. I think we might. We're definitely going to catch up. Uh, we might have to spin our wheels a little bit in order for that season to start. Uh, if you know what I mean. So we might have to do some best of, or maybe some. Uh, you wanted to do some like character dissections episodes. We're gonna have yeah, to do that. That seems like overkill at this point. Yeah, probably. So yeah. I don't know. We'll get on and maybe do our like who I'd like to you know do episode. Maybe do a countdown or something. We'll figure something out, guys. We'll we'll have some <laughs> content for you. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's also a shitty trailer that they released or a teaser. Uh, from the old teaser freezer, uh, and it really is nothing. It's just like dialogue from the past seasons, and like a, a statue of all the, uh, you know, the avatars of the big houses fighting and basically trying to tell the story of the past six seasons. It's just a I waste haven't of even time. seen it yet. I haven't watched it. Yet. Don't bother. It's a fucking that. waste of time. Okay, maybe I don't have to watch it. Yeah, but um, but yeah, uh, so that's going to happen. So that's exciting. Party. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so it's obviously Brian's not nearly as excited as uh, I guess I'm not even excited either. I'm just kind of like trying to keep up on things. You know, you do this podcast, you think you, you know, care, but I guess not. All right, let's start it off. Um, yeah. Oh wait, before we do, uh, uh, impressions of this episode. This episode was dog shit. <laughs> I have to agree. I think this. I mean, this is a bottom three episode. I think for me. Um, yes, I didn't care about almost everything in this episode. So can you, can you, um, elaborate, but in a general way, why you hated this episode so much? Uh, it, they felt seemed to fall into that trap of just repeating things that we already knew. Uh, a lot of talking, um, and even the action wasn't that exciting. I, it just seemed like nothing really happened. Uh, although there was the big reveal that Baelish is essentially the architect of the war, through the pitting the Lannisters and the Starks against each other. I mean, that's a pretty big reveal. Um, but I argue that, that the way that reveal happened was um, ludicrous and dumb and yeah. uh, awful, just, uh, poorly handled. And, and I think it's too subtle. I mean, the implications <laughs> of it are, are insane, and I don't know that I really uh, even thought through like that it's all Littlefinger starting this war, the start of the war between the Lannisters and the Starks. Yeah. And, and in an effort to, you know throw those houses in the chaos to please the resources. And then he theoretically could climb the, the ladder to become the king. But um, I, I don't think it was heavy-handed enough, the one big, big reveal, that. And then a lot of just them people repeating the same stuff we already know over and over and over. So uh, <clears throat> kind of boring. Yeah, I and I want to say that this was, you know, the culmination of this whole, like, show invention uh, bullshit storyline with uh, Craster's Keep. But even... Uh, Besides that, I mean, almost everything in this uh, episode is show invention nonsense, and you're absolutely right. There are, like, conversations that have literally happened before 
um, in this season, and I'll start to po- I'll point them out when we get to it. But um, yeah, this is a big waste of time. This is a real dud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing solid. Let's rip into it. Okay, so uh, we begin with uh, Tommen's coronation. Um, uh, the High Septum, not the one we come to know in season six, I guess, uh, or maybe five as well. Um, he says some fancy words, puts a hat on the guy's head, dubs him King Tommen, first of his name. Everybody cheers. Uh, Marge is hanging out in the, um, I don't know, the women's section off to the side there, and uh, she makes fuck me eyes at Tommen, um, caught by Cersei. Uh, realize that she's in trouble but Cersei comes over and you know and is rather pleasant I guess um, comments that uh, Marjorie's still in the morning and it comes out that uh, you know Cersei admits that Joffrey was a monster uh, but she loved him anyway because uh, she was his kid firstborn uh, said that uh, some of the things that Joffrey did appalled even her which I guess is saying something uh, Cersei then offers uh, the to arrange a marriage between Marjorie and Tommen. Marjorie pretends like she hasn't given it any thought as far as what's going to come next. Um, and the matter, they decide that the matter will be discussed, agreed upon, but discussed by their rep- uh, respective fathers. Um, and then at the end, Marge gets in one last dig about all the weddings that are going to happen, and she's not sure whether she should call her sister or MILF in chief, I guess. So nothing really happened here other than Cersei, I guess, now has changed her tune as to whether she's happy with a Tyrell marrying a Lannister. Yeah, I I don't I don't understand that shift. I don't I don't know. Um, This this the way Cersei has handled this entire episode seems crazy to me. Um, Yeah, because she should be in hysteric mourning for Joffrey and she kind of seems over it and like has moved on somehow. I don't know. It's really weird. Yeah, and I don't know why. I mean, she you would think that she might even suspect Marjorie was involved in the assassination. I mean, I wouldn't have that ruled out if I were her, even though she certainly seems dead set on blaming on Tyrion. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't understand the sudden change in attitude towards the Tyrells, as this scene would indicate in the later scene when she's talking to uh, Tywin. It doesn't make any sense to me. She she didn't want her to Marge to marry Joff. But she's got no problems with him, her marrying um, Tommen. I, why? I, I don't know. Um, yeah. But we'll we'll get into it, I guess. Because um, yeah. later, it, it too, like, she doesn't see the thing with uh, Oberyn at the end, too, seemed weird. Um, although, yes. I think that was maybe, uh, maybe it's setting up for, um, what's his face? Jamie to go down to Dorne. But I don't think he does that this season. He might. I don't remember. Who cares? No, he definitely yeah. doesn't do that this season. He does it after Oberyn's dead, I think. Who cares? Uh, I think but you're right, yeah. Big deal is Cersei is just not acting like herself, number one. Number two, she's not acting like a person who, a mother who lo- just lost her son. Um, it's just really weird. I don't I don't get it. Um, yeah. So let's agree. move on. Yep. All right, so we go to Marine and uh, Jorah updates Danny. Joff is dead, and we also learn that the second sons took the Miranese navy, uh, which is kind of stu- uh, not under Danny's order, which is a show invention. is also stupid because the the reason in the books that Danny doesn't go to uh, Westeros is because she didn't have the navy. Now she's got a fucking navy already. Yeah, so no. So excuse. there's uh, some speculation as to whether the ten thousand men that they have are enough to take back King's Landing, and that's certainly not the same as taking back the entirety of Westeros. Uh, what's his nuts? Uh, speculates that the houses. Uh, What's what's the older guys? Jorah? <laughs> the, no, uh, yeah. Barrison. 
Yes, yes, yes. Selmy, he um he speculates that the uh, houses will flock to her. Majora corrects him and that the houses will flock to whoever they think is going to win. Uh, in other news, apparently all of the, the two cities that they freed have fallen back into the hands of slavers. Uh, we'll discuss this a little bit later. This is true to the book, but I don't quite understand how it happened that quickly and how it just falls apart so fast. But anyways, uh, Danny kicks everyone out, but Jorah for, uh, for a little one-on-one coaching session. Uh, Danny uh, cry, you know, asks what she could have done and uh, also asks Jorah what kind of ruler would she would be if she allows the people that she's free to, uh, to slide back into slavery. And based on that rationale, Danny makes the decision to stay and rule as a queen would. Uh, yeah, so this is just weird. All right, so instead of, like, in the book, you make this, like, meta decision that she's making this conscious effort to stay and rule, but really it's not that, like, formalized like it is here. Like, you're mm-hmm. right, she's given a Navy, no excuse not to go now. She just needs maybe better intel to tell her, like, whether they would flock to her or not. Uh, but I think, you know, I think they definitely would, because I don't think anybody likes the Lannisters right now. Um, you know, the Tyrells could be a problem, I guess, but you would think that the, the Lannister army is stretched pretty thin. Um, and, you know, the North would probably rally to Danny just for revenge alone. Um, I don't know. It's, it seems like there's no excuse not to attack. Yeah, and the book had the perfect excuse in that she didn't have the ability to get over there. Plus, I guess her uh, dragons are small. I mean, there's, that's another excuse, but they, yeah. you know, they're not even mentioning the dragons as a weapon at all in this scenario. So, yeah, and so I, it also is uh, silly, and I, I think this is part of the books how quickly these cities slide right back into slavery. Kind and of it doesn't make any sense if they would kill the masters and set up. Any kind of government and you know military. I mean, I guess they just completely ignore that in the show, but it it just seems silly to me. Uh, it it does happen pretty quick, but we, uh, you know, it's it's odd what time does in uh in the books because we don't see Danny at all. I think in the fourth book, I think uh, Feast of Crows, she is absent, and we like cut to her in Marine already ruling. Um, so there's definitely a time gap there of some significance. I don't know if it's like a year or something like that, but it seems like more time had passed. Um, uh, but yeah, wasn't like what was the guy's name who's ruling in uh, Astropor? Like Klingon the mighty Cleon, Cleon the mighty. Uh, that seems crazy. The butcher. The Which butcher. Uh, apparently the story is that he is an actual butcher. It's not that he's killing people left oh. and right. Well, that's Which cool. is uh, completely different than what the implication was in the show. I thought. Uh, yeah, but then, you know, she's like, she makes this, like, ridiculous pontification that's like, I will do what queens do, I will rule. This is the shit that I hate about Danny. Like, you know, yeah. people will, people will, like, find, like, her uplifting and, like, you know, like a girl power symbol, but she's just, it's just fucking, like, somebody, it's clear somebody wrote this and this is not, like, real uh, dialogue. This is just, like, uh, you know what I mean? It seems just so fake so inauthentic and just i don't know yeah and it's another scene where i mean really nothing happens other than danny decides to stay yeah uh, that's pretty much the extent of the scene uh and because we've heard that we've had heard this discussion between selmy and jorah before as to whether the houses will join or how many men they have i mean yeah we've we know heard that before shit. yeah so absolutely whatever okay so we yeah. got 
<laughs> sorry for the uh, downer kind of uh, attitude, but this was just such a shitty episode. Yeah, so I agree. This is probably it, this is gonna we're be... gonna try to we're gonna try to make some laughs out of it at least. Yeah. So uh, the funny thing is, this creepy pedophile uh, Littlefinger is escorting uh, Sansa Lannister through a chasm, uh, which leads to the Bloody Gate. Uh, the only entrance into the Vale of Arryn and uh, the Eyrie, which is the the castle of the ruling family, the Arryns. Um, Littlefinger makes a point to say that the gate has never fallen before, uh, no matter how many times it's been attacked, which makes me think it'll eventually fall, I guess. Uh, but they are stalked by men aiming arrows at them and spears um, the whole way. Uh, but once Littlefinger gets to the guy, the main gatekeeper, he tells him who he is and he's let in immediately. And they, uh, you know, stand down. Uh, next, we smash cut to him arriving in the Eyrie in the throne room. So I guess it was no big deal getting up there. Uh, it took like five days in the what? book. We'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, let's stop there. Okay, sure. Because this is a long scene. Go ahead. Yeah. They, 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 uh, we've, I know we've talked about this but uh, on a prior episode, but they really gave short shrift to just how impregnable the Eyrie is. I mean, it's multiple days. I think I, I don't recall it being five, but I mean, you have to climb precarious, a uh, single path, uh, open on like paths up a mountain with no handrails and parts you have to be carried up in a basket. And it seems like a really cool description in the book. I just don't know how they would execute it on the show without expanding. You'd think spending a fairly amount, a significant amount of the budget on it. So I, I don't think so. I, I really this. don't think so because, like, uh, uh, it, we see the 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 castle like briefly. I think, uh, and that's all CGI, right? I think so. So why couldn't it just be up a mountain and then they cut to them, you know, in Greece somewhere on a you know on a mountainside, like? You don't have to keep showing the CGI castle at the top of the mountain. You just show them, you know, climbing up precariously. And it didn't have to be, like, you know, a half-hour thing. Maybe five, ten minutes of, like, them going along and Sansa going, oh! And maybe Peter, like, (laughs) saves her or something. I don't know. It just, it would add to the fantasy-ness of the whole thing. Um, And I don't think it would be that expensive. So, I'm... You know what? I don't know. I've never priced out CGI, so... But I'm I'm just uh, saying, you have... uh, Well, here's the thing is you don't have to price out CGI. They had one CGI sl- shot of the fucking thing, uh, the castle, the Eerie, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. instead of that CGI shot, just make it higher on top of a mountain. There you go. Done. And you shoot more uh, scenes in a national park with zero special effects in Greece or whatever. <laughs> okay. I, 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 okay, we'll do this when, you know, in 20 years when people are ready to see this story told again, uh, we'll do it again. We'll do it right. Okay, get some money from the good. bank. Okay, so anyway, uh, he arrives in the throne room. Uh, gives the idiot titsucker word up on the idiot titsucker. He's back. Gives yes. him a uh, glass bird, uh, and then presents Sansa to her aunt, Lady Lysa. They hug, and everything seems happy and fine. Uh, and then the little t- the idiot titsucker um, is crass about Sansa's death of the entire family by the Lannisters. Um, not to mention the death of Brandon Rickon, which she believes are everybody believes are dead. Um, and then he tosses the fucking newly acquired gift into the hole in the ground. What a dick! Uh, then he's tasked with showing Sansa around <laughs> the place. That. Oh yeah, he's like, ah, oh, man, I want to make the bad man fly, and he threw the goddamn gift out. And I'm like, oh, what a little shit. Yes. Anyway, he, uh, he's tasked with showing Sansa around the place, uh, and they leave, which gives San, uh, Lysa and Pitar. Uh, an opportunity to make out, um, <laughs> gross, 
And Lisa, Elisa reveals in no uncertain terms how she killed her own husband, uh, you know, uh, Robert Aaron on Littlefinger's behalf. And now she wants to get married right away, post haste. Uh, she surprises him by having the septum ready to go. And, uh, you know, he agrees. Uh, wedding commences while Sansa or Lysa sickens everyone in the room by revealing how uh, she fucks loud. And then we cut to a scene with Sansa trying to sleep that night. And we get the sounds of a whooping crane dying, uh, which is pretty gross. And played for laughs, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, just awful. First, I did like the kid, uh, Sweet Robin, is starting to look like dog shit already. <laughs> I don't think you noticed until uh, the 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 most season where he just looks like a just absolute creep. Yeah. Um, but this was an annoying scene, annoying characters. Uh, the whole screaming thing was just so stupid. Um, yeah. You know. I, I, Let me I just ask you. I wrote, like I wrote here. Let's. Uh, was the screaming thing just salacious to be salacious? Was it meant as they thought it would be funny? Or was it meant that Lysa is like crazy and obnoxious to to Peter? Like, you know, to like illustrate that, oh man, she's got to go. I guess it's all of them. I, I you know, I, I, maybe the show writers didn't trust us to know that she's crazy. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Breastfeeding a kid at 10 or whatever. Yeah. That's not crazy enough. Uh, no, no. Just her demeanor in general. Yeah. It, I, I, this was really stupid. And then also, again, we touched on a little earlier that the fact that, this is so this is so important that we get this reveal. I mean, Tywin poisoned John Aaron, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Lysa uh, poisoned John Aaron. Yeah. Yes, Lysa I said poisoned Robert John Aaron, Aaron, John Aaron at the at the request of Littlefinger, which then led to, and this was after uh, I, I guess after John Aaron discovered the identity of of Cersei's uh, father or. Uh, Baby maker. I don't, that, yeah, he was pursuing, yeah. right right before he died, he was finding out about the bastards. Yeah, Robert's so then bastards. Littlefinger must have known about that, taken advantage of that that going on. So then the uh, John Aaron's death is what led Ned to go down to the become the Hand of the King, because my understanding is Ned likely wouldn't have become the Hand of the King unless he also had the secondary uh, effect of being able to look into John Aaron's death, because John Aaron was very close to him. And then once he got in the middle of all this stuff is when it, it really the war went crazy. I mean, this is the chaos that that Littlefinger right. seeks to create and take advantage of. But, I mean, I think it was just kind of rolled over by this terrible acting and terrible writing for the rest of the scene. And you kind of lost that detail. I, I don't know that I realized how important uh, and just how how uh, Littlefinger was just at the center of this entire thing. I mean, he's the architect of this war. Um, and uh, they just I don't think they did, did a good job. Uh, they definitely did not, and you're right. They didn't. They didn't pause to let the reality of all that sink sink in at all. No, instead they surrounded her with this idiot lady screaming while she's banging. Stupid. But that's hilarious. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Another thing is, I think it comes out right before she gets murdered by Littlefinger uh, at the, you know, uh, through the moon door in the books. Like, um, it's all very. Dramatic. It's like one dramatic scene. She gets angry at uh, Sansa and is going to throw her out the moon door. Uh, and, you know, she just, she's ravenous. She just raves about how she killed her own husband for Peter, uh, Petire, Petire, Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so it was all part of, it was all like a slow build up to a kind of climax of that 
storyline of uh, Peter Baelish marrying Lysa, moving in. Um, you're like, what the fuck's going on here? Uh, and I feel like that had more impact. Like, if they would have done that later in the season, I feel like it would have been huge. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, uh, yeah, who cares? Um, just a, a missed opportunity, which, which, once again, a huge reveal that it has impact on every single episode that came before it, and it's in the worst turd sandwich of an episode <laughs> I can think of. <laughs> Yeah, and one of the worst turd sandwich scenes of the turd sandwich episode. So. <laughs> That's a, a corn All right. So next we go to Tywin and Cersei, and they're meeting to discuss Tom and Marjorie and uh, Cersei's decision to uh, kind of encourage the wedding between the Tyrells and the Lannisters. Tywin is, expresses his displeasure uh, as to uh, – what the heck did I write here? I have no idea. Oh my gosh, I don't know what I wrote. All right. So uh, <laughs> Tywin discusses how the Tyrells are their only rival. Tywin reveals that their um, their minds are dry and they're relying upon the Iron Bank and uh, to fund their war. Gives some, some kind of background on the Iron Bank. It's kind of a shadowy organization. It lends money, but it expects to be paid back. Otherwise, there will be severe consequences. Um, and the the union with the Tyrells is part of the plan to repay them, presumably because the Tyrells have all the money, as it's been explained to us multiple times before. They change the topic to Tyrion's uh, trial, but Tywin refuses to discuss it. Cersei says she understands. Um, and Cersei then tries to pin uh, the, the, the family's fate on Tyrion, and kind of confusingly, uh, by stating that uh, Ty- Tyrion has uh, l- lighting their future on fire, which I don't know that I quite understood. This whole scene was confusing as shit to me. So walk yeah. me through this. So uh, the Lannisters are broke, which Tywin reveals. Yes. But before saying that the Tyrells are their only rival as far as resources. Oh, yeah. So that's the problem right there. What the fuck? Okay, so the Tyrells are the only one that have as many resources as us. By the way, we have no resources. We're fucking broke. Then number two, he says something that the Crown lent money, or the Lannisters lent money to the Crown, which is the, what it happens in the books, um, as, you know, uh, Robert Baratheon spent like a, a maniac. Uh, and now the Crown is broke and in debt to the Iron Bank. Uh, but he wants to bring the Tyrells in to help repay the Iron Bank. But how are the Lannisters going to get repaid? And then how how are they not going to go broke regardless? Like they've got like all their income has to be like siphoned from the crown back to the Lannister. I mean, they have lands, I guess. I mean, other places. Exactly. It doesn't exactly. make a, it doesn't make any fucking sense, right? Like this is just confusing as all shit. Yeah, it is. And and the other thing to layer on top of that is I don't think uh, Tywin's an idiot. How did he get them into this situation? What was his plan? Um, I don't, I don't you know, know, he tried to in a prior episode when he discussed the Iron Bank with uh, Olena, he kind of tried to dismiss it, you know, saying it wasn't that important. But I mean, here he's openly uh, openly admitting to Cersei that they're in trouble, financial trouble and, and the attendant circumstances that come with it in terms of the Iron Bank. So I mean, you just wouldn't think that Tywin would screw over the future generations of Lannisters and owe a shit ton of money, but I guess maybe it's actually the crown that owes the money. Well, that's the problem. So, that's that's, that's yeah, the problem. I, is like, is the do the Lannisters owe the the Iron Bank? Like, you would think you'd 
you'd split the responsibility here. You know, you'd have some kind of like deniability going, you know, well, we're still an independent house and we have our own finances, even though our house is involved in the crown now. Um, I don't understand it. Just, it's just very baffling. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't understand Cersei's behavior. This is, uh, repeated what we talked about earlier, how she doesn't seem to be, she seemed calm she was. She obviously hates Tyrion, but her argument is weird. I guess by setting the family's future on fire, that means killing Joffrey because he's the future of the family, and he puts it in jeopardy. But at the same time, there's another kid, and he's going to marry the same woman. So really, nothing's. <laughs> yes, nothing's exactly. changed. Uh, besides, things are better because this kid isn't a fucking psychopath. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's an attempt to influence uh, Tywin's decision right. in the upcoming trial, but it's just a stupid way to do it because what she's saying doesn't make any sense at all. So, and in fact, he actually probably helped the family's future because Tommen will be a reasonable, yeah, presumably be a reasonable king, or at least at this point we think he would. Yeah. Whereas Joff, that was headed for a train wreck of some kind or other. I mean, that, that I don't know how that would end up in open revolt at some point. Uh, based on the power of the other families in Westeros, you know. Yeah, he would have he would have pissed somebody off. Yeah, Can you imagine this, if, Imagine if Joffrey had Twitter. <laughs> Moving Jesus. on. Okay, so Arya is uh, keeping. And the, once uh, and oh, sorry. To, real quick, just another dumb scene. Uh, I don't. What? <laughs> yeah. What, what does it for? do? It tells yeah. us that the Lannisters are broke, but guess what? That doesn't pay off at fucking all. At least not yet, and it's we're like two seasons after this, right? Yes. Is, mm-hmm. Has it Other had than, uh, Marin going on a uh, sex tourism trip to uh, the Iron Bank? Yeah, but that that has more to do with the crown. What the fuck does that have to do with the Lannisters being broke? Yeah, absolutely. The crown being in debt is one thing. The Lannisters being broke is something else that I feel adds dick to uh, the story. Uh, it just maybe makes the Lannisters seem like they're full of shit. Uh, uh, it's it's yeah. angering. I'm I'm anger. Just what, that's why I feel right now. All right, all right, move on, move on. Okay, so uh, Arya's keeping uh, Sandor awake by saying her little death prayers out loud. You know, you think she could whisper them or something? Anyway, uh, Sandor claims that uh, hate is an excellent motivator, uh, and if they come across his brother, the Mountain, which is on our list, uh, they'll both uh, cross somebody off their individual list or whatever. They basically he agrees that uh, the Mountain should die. Um, you know, they bicker for a while, and then she names the last name on her list. I just have one name left. The Hound. And that's it. What the fuck was this scene? I love this pairing. Uh, but this scene wasn't fun. This scene wasn't necessary at all. Didn't do anything. Besides show them bond over their mutual hate for the mountain, but at the same time, that gets ruined by Arya wanting him dead. So what happened? I, again, yeah, I, I don't understand the point of it. Stupid. <sighs> and not, right. not much I mean, to I say. I don't have anything. Really yeah, I don't have anything I just, to say. I don't either. understand why it existed. So, yep. waste of an episode. Yeah. All right, so uh, we go back to the Eerie. Uh, Lisa, Lisa is serving Sansa uh, after uh, after getting her hump on. Uh, Lysa reveals that Kat apparently had a chubby period. Uh, Lysa then uh, attacks Sansa. Apparently she's jealous of of uh, Kat. And 
and ris- Peter. she asked questions yeah. why she's risking her life to save Sansa and Cat never loved uh or why sorry, why Littlefinger is risking his life to save Sansa when Cat never loved him. Very jealous. She then accuses Sansa of banging Peter. Say Sansa's able to convince her that they aren't banging, and um then Lysa reveals that Sansa is to marry sweet Robin. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Another who cares? <laughs> Another who cares? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it shows that she's crazy. We know she's crazy. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess Sans is going to marry Sweet Robin. Okay. Yeah. Good for her. Uh, okay. Oh, one thing I did write about this scene. So Lysa says at some point, um, you know, soon your wretched little, you know, half man uh, husband will be executed at the trial and you'll be free to marry sweet Robin. So this, this implies, cause we had this conversation cause I keep calling Sansa Sanders and Lannister and your argument is because they didn't do the, the old in out in out their marriage isn't legitimate, but Lysa's is under the impression that it is legitimate. And this is after Sansa just convinced her that she's a virgin. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the, I would think that the marriage is still valid. I mean, they haven't consummated it. Right. But, but there's still the, the possibility of them consummating is not foreclosed. Like, I don't think they're, it's, it's null just because they haven't banged yet because they can always bang down the road. You yeah. Know I, I mean? guess the closest thing is an annulment in the Catholic church. Cause you can like undo a marriage if it's hasn't been consummated. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. Oh man, I'm sorry. I was looking for you to back me up on that. Anyway, that's that's what I be, that's what I've heard. So I'm going to say it's truth. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to still refer to Sansa as Sansa Lannister going forward because of this. Um, yeah, you do what fine? you got to do. I will. Okay. Now uh, we got uh, Brienne and Pod. They've begun their mission to go hunt down Sansa Lannister, uh, and I guess they're heading at the wall because they think that she's going for John, who they know is there. Uh, Podrick is inept at riding a horse. Um, Brian questions this and he says there wasn't much need serving, uh, Tyrion. Uh, she tries to send him home saying he doesn't, you know, she releases him from his vows, all that shit, but he is resolute to be a burden on Brienne during her mission. What was the point? (laughs) What was the point of this? So, okay, so here's the thing is I think the point was, and I like this pairing in the book, and I kind of like this pairing on the shows later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, you can do character development, which was what this scene was, and have something of consequence happen. It's yes. possible. It's fucking possible. They could have questioned somebody. They could have gotten to, to some trouble. I don't know. But nothing, this is, this is an inconsequential scene. In a whole uh, army of uh, single file inconsequential scenes in this fucking episode. Yeah, I don't. I don't have anything else to say about. Let's this move scene. on. Great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next, uh, Oberon is composing a poem in a garden when Cersei arrives and uh, and invites him to take a walk. They discuss the loss. Oh, of hold on, hold on. I'm ha- sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Got to interrupt you. Yes. Uh, so I took the uh, the next scene as well, and I kind of bundled it because it was such a short scene. Um, so we have this scene with uh, Arya and the Hound uh, when she's like oh, fighting yes, on the yes, river. Yes. So I'll, I'll knock this out real quick. All right. So the Hound wakes to find Arya gone. He freaks out, thinking that she is left. But oh, 
She's just practicing her water dancing down by the stream. Uh, Santa goes down there and confronts her, and it's pretty contemptuous about whatever she's doing. Uh, he's basically talking shit about uh, water dancing, about people of Bravos, and about her former swordmaster, Sirio Pharrell. Um, you know, when Arya defends him, saying he was the greatest swordsman ever lived, uh, but somehow he was killed by Marin Trent, and, you know, Sandor is like, there's no way the greatest swordsman would be killed by Marin Trent. Um, basically, goes Arya into showing him how what her skills are, and she stabs him, but his armor saves him, and he gives her a quick backhand to the ground. Um, and it's just basically some tough love here as he says that Marin Trent lived because he had armor and a big fucking sword. Uh, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, Mar- that does raise an interesting point uh, in terms of the Serio Pharrell being alive uh, conspiracy in that this Serio uh, is a a great swordsman and uh trant we don't really know if he's a good as a swordsman because my understanding is a lot of the king's guard uh it's noble people that may have bought their way onto the position uh so he might have actually just been a, a terrible swordsman uh which would add fuel to the fire of uh serio lives so uh, i did think that was an interesting at least i still have hope away. that serio lives in the um book but i'm pretty sure they've kind of I don't see how Sirio could come back at this point, especially the best situation for Sirio to come back because he's from Bravos would be when Arya was in Bravos and she's not there anymore. So uh, this is true. I guess he could come back in the show, but I have very little hope. Yeah, and it could be a thing where they kind of left it open ended just to not foreclose the possibility. Uh, but at this point, uh, it's it's I mean five seasons later, six seasons later, it's probably too late. So. Yeah, I mean, I sure. can I can delve a little bit into the conspiracy theory that like, you know, Serio got for, uh, got away and Marin Trant was too embarrassed to admit it. Um, you know, people are saying you know when Sansa's when they were, you know, Sansa looks over the heads of the executed uh, guards and like you know her Septa, her father, all these people, he's never mentioned as being his head isn't displayed. He's never mentioned as being killed. Um, you know, it's it's just one of these things that just seems weirdly absent. Um, but that's all I got. I don't know why I made a big deal about saying I was going to go in depth because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, again, this scene, uh, nothing of consequence uh, otherwise. Yeah. And once again, uh, it's it's character development. But nothing of consequence happens besides a philosophical uh, disagreement or, like I said, tough love. Like, uh, you know, Sander is trying to protect her by being a dick and slapping her around. Right? Yeah. I, I, I yeah. <sighs> Fine. I don't, it's, yeah, it's inconsequential. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead with the uh, next. Thing. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a little tired. And this uh, scene, or the show, this episode put me to sleep. So anyways, yeah. uh, next scene, Oberon is composing a poem and Cersei arrives and invites him to go for a walk. They discuss the loss of children and how power is pointless if you can't protect your family. Oberon asks Cersei if she thinks that Tyrion did it, which she does confirm that she does. She thinks that Tyrion killed Joffrey. They then discuss Myrcella and how uh, Oberon recalls the last time he saw her that she was happy. Oberon continues to insist that they don't hurt girls and little girls in Dorne, but uh, Cersei does not believe him. Cersei then asks Oberon to give Myrcella her birthday present, which is 
a new boat. <laughs> Fuck. <clears throat> All right. So the first thing I want to point out is she asks, like, oh, Lord Arvin, uh, who are you writing? When you, you know, your um, paramour? A no, to my daughter. Oh, you have daughters? I have eight of them. Eight? Fuck you, show. We only meet three of them. So, like, it's like these showrunners, I don't know, couple episodes later, like, uh, did we say eight? No, we meant three. Uh, so we only meet three fucking sand snakes. We're led to believe that's all there is. Right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. So the, you know, the eight is reduced to three fucking idiots. Um, so it just Dorn was so mishandled. The only good thing about Dorn was Oberon in this season. Um, everything else is a fucking an abomination. Uh, but also, yeah, um, Cersei is giving him a boat, giving giving a boat to give to Marcella. Now, I don't remember the rest of the season too much, but does this pay off? Is this some kind of like underhanded move, or is this Cersei just being a weird sap and saying, "Hey, I miss my daughter, and she was really into boats, so here's a boat for her." I don't, I don't know, and I don't think it does. I don't think it pays off. So this is another silly scene that doesn't really have any pay. I mean, I guess the point is Cersei's trying to influence Oberon, but she's doing a fucking awful job of it. Uh, I mean, it's way too subtle, I think, if, if that's what she's actually You're right. trying yeah, to do. Yeah, she should have pushed the issue if she was trying to influence one of the judges, which, like you said, she just she obviously tried to influence Tywin in the previous scene she was in. So this is another judge she's trying to like influence, but she doesn't really push the issue or bring up the... You know, her son dying. I don't know. It's it's. I, I don't I, get it. I don't get I it either. The boat might be an attempt at a bribe, but I, I, it's clear that it's not because she wants it to just send it down to Marcella. And yeah, it's not like he's gonna ride in it. He's just like, yeah, uh, I'll let it go to <laughs> like what? I'd like to send this boat down to Marcella. Okay, I'll have it sent. It's a boat. I mean, just you're giving permission yeah. for the boat to. Do what boats do, which is sail places. And what the what's this? The idea of giving a thirteen-year-old girl her own boat. What the fuck is she gonna do with that boat? I mean, I've heard boat ownership is a nightmare. <laughs> it's like a trampoline or a pool. You just—it sounds good in theory. Yeah, and they're out of money, but they're having the finest boatsmiths build this <laughs> stupid boat. I, Jesus Christ! What in the fuck? I, I don't. I don't. This is stupid. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. All right, so uh, we go back and visit the Pod and Brienne show, and Pod continues to be inept at being a human being, uh, setting a rabbit on fire instead of cooking it without any preparation, like taking off its skin or whatnot. Uh, Brienne shows up and is exasperated by his efforts and uh, so frustrated that she won't even let him take off her armor. Um. She repeatedly asks, she's like, what the fuck did you do for Tyrion? Did you do anything? Did you have any military prowess She's like, or martial prowess? She's like, he says, uh, yeah. Uh, and he relates a story about how he killed a Kingsguard guy by stabbing in the back of the head, uh, which happens again later this episode. People can't pass out in back then. Anyway, um, defending Tyrion on the Blackwater, uh, he killed a Kingsguard guy. Um, so this impresses Brienne because it obviously impresses him, but also he seems like he laments murdering somebody, even if it was in defense of his lord. Um, so she takes kind of pity on him and allows him to help her undress. Isn't that nice? Yep. Uh, pods of rube. We get it. 
<laughs> yeah, but you needed to see it twice. You needed to see two instances of him being a rube. Yep. Um, uh, what was the point? Yep. No, I, I I do agree with you though. I mean, I do generally like this relationship. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, but uh, God, just just do something of consequence. Fuck's sake. Yep. All right. So uh, next lock is outside Craster's Creep, uh, performing some reconnaissance. He uh, kind of creeps around, enters the tent with the kids. Uh, the it has not been a fun field trip so far for them. Gojin uh, enters a vision a vision where he recalls. Or I'm sorry, we uh, Locke does not enter. We, uh, as viewers, enter the tent with the children. Okay, yeah. Yes. Uh, Jojen enters a vision or recalls a vision of a giant weirwood tree in response to everyone kind of being down on the trip. Apparently, Bran has seen the same thing, and this is the goal uh, of their expedition. Uh, Gojin restates their purpose. It's simply to guide Bran to the tree. But didn't John see this vision like a couple of episodes back when he says, hey, take me over to that tree. And then he touches it and his eyes roll back in the head. He sees the tree and a bunch of other visions and says, I know where we got to go now. Yeah, I think so. So what the fuck is this? I, it's Doug, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for you at you for answers here. I don't have any answers. Yeah, but I have a different question. Why did we watch this episode? <laughs> because we, did, we had no idea it'd be this bad. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, uh, you know, well, it, I don't. I don't understand the. Point I will of it. say, I will. I, I'll give this for the episode. Mm-hmm. I don't recall any uh, disgusting sexual violence. No, we almost have. Some we later. almost get some later, but uh, we don't. We don't actually see any. It's threatened. So I feel yes. like this is an improvement. Yeah, things are looking up. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, one thing I did want to point out that I didn't see. I recalled. Um, for when this aired, somebody pointed it out online and going, oh yeah. So when the vision of the, um, werewood tree happens behind Bran, it clearly happens behind Bran. Like the hut disappears, but we see Bran and we see the pole he's attached to. And the pole he's attached to has a bunch of branches on it for some reason or twigs. Um, alluding to the fact that Bran will sit like and become one with the tree or at least, in the show, that doesn't even happen. But in the books, that's what is going to happen, uh, uh, presumably to him, because that's what happened to the three-eyed crow. The three-eyed raven in the books sat on a weirwood throne, and basically the weirwood roots grew through him. He's a fucking, like, half-corpse uh, thing, monster. So I felt like that was that was a cool little nod, but I think the show backpedaled on that, like they backpedaled on the amount of sand snakes. Um but I, I'm sure you didn't notice that, right? No, I didn't pick up on that. Otherwise, I would have mentioned it. Yeah, it, it, and once again, it's of little consequence because of what the show chooses to do with Bran later. Um, so you know, he doesn't become part of a tree. He just kind of just hangs out and leaves pretty quickly from the Three-Eyed uh, Raven. Yeah. So Locke returns to John and the small group of Night's Watchmen, says there are only 11 guys, most of them are drunk, and they don't even have anybody standing guard. So it seems like he's pretty convinced they're going to slaughter them all. Um, uh, also, he says that they should stay clear of the hut the little rascals are in, uh, claiming that that's where they're housing some dogs. Uh, we know better. Uh, we know he has uh, evil intentions. Uh, Gren then looks up to the daytime sky and says it'll be a new moon somehow. He knows that by staring up at the sky. 
uh, in the daytime. Uh, and John says, okay, great. New moon, that means we'll attack right at nightfall. So the plan is set for the assault. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what nope. to add to this. Can't add. Keep going. Yeah. I, I don't have anything to add to it. So just, just go to the next scene. All right, good. So uh, we go to Carl and the gang, and they're going into the prison hut. Uh, his cohorts grab Mira and chain her up, and it appears his intentions are less than pure. Jojen offers to help by using his sight if Carl lets uh, lets uh, Mira go. Carl rejects the offer, then says that uh, then Jojen says that he's seen that Carl will die by sunset, and just in the nick of time, the the Night's Watch arrive. Um, so uh, all of the um, Carl and the gang scatter and run out. And meanwhile, Locke finds his way into the prison hut and finds Brand realizes it's Brand Stark, uh, and then takes Brand to uh, or starts to pick him up uh, to get him out of there. Uh, there's kind of more fighting that's interjected all throughout the scene uh, between the Night's Watch and the Carl's gang. But uh, long and short of it is Brand wargs into Hodor, and Hodor runs out and smashes uh, Locke, killing him. So uh, I guess I'll just keep going. Yeah, uh, Hodor no, does, uh, comes yeah, out going. of the uh, warging, doesn't appear to be happy that he killed someone, but uh, he frees Brand and also goes to save Jojen and Mira per Brand's instruction. Uh, Bran sees John and begins to call to him, but Jojen tells him to stop because otherwise the, the field trip will be over. So I'll go ahead and stop here. See okay, what yeah. you have to uh, say. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, so we have an attempted kind of rape, but not before an interrogation. It turned out like it, they're going to rape her, but they first they still want to know what a highborn girl is doing north of the wall, uh, which I don't see how it makes any sense or who cares. Um, but okay. So Bran controls Hodor. We knew that was coming. And then I I have a question or issue with how Locke dies. So like Bran Hodor monster picks him up in one hand and holds him by the what neck or collar Mm -hmm. or, and then his other hand kind of pushes and snaps his neck. Uh, but it looks like it was severing his neck almost from his body. I don't know. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me as far as like physically how that would happen. Um, I would have preferred to him like turn his neck around and like done one of these like, you know, like almost like a exorcist kind of thing. Only yeah. he was just that forceful to, to flip his neck around because it just seemed weird. Um, I, I don't understand where the, the force would come from or the fulcrum or I don't know enough about physics, but it just didn't seem like it added up. Uh, but number two, okay, so Bran stops warging Hodor and then tells him to cut him loose. So, all right, number one, you should have just stayed inside Hodor before yeah. you cut yourself loose. Number one. <laughs> number two, why does he in such a rush to get cut loose? It's not like he's going anywhere. He's a fucking cripple. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I mean, you're right, but <laughs> I don't know. tread carefully here. Okay, yeah. He's... yeah and what, so what was Locke's plan? Is, was Locke... I thought Locke was just going to go kill Bran. I mean, I guess Locke was bringing Bran back so that the uh, the Boltons could use him as leverage, I yeah. guess. Is that the answer? I guess. And then plus, wasn't he supposed to kill John too? Yeah. I thought that was one of the larger points. And then he doesn't even ask where um, 
Rick on this. Doesn't even seem like he gets true. A shit. Yeah, uh, uh, that's that's half of the puzzle. The whole reason they want Bran is because he's a threat, but equally a threat, Rickon. Yes, absolutely. And would John, in theory, could John inherit the North as uh, taking out the uh, the Night's Watch part of it if he was still uh, just living with the, the Starks? I mean, could he inherit the North if all of the other uh, Star children were killed? You know what? I don't think so, but I don't know. I think it would go to like um, like cousins, and it would probably go to the Tullys before it would go to John, which is really shitty, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, it, not shitty, but you know what I mean? It just sucks for John's point of view. Like, he's that low. Bastards are so low that they would, like, go to, like, his uncle, whatever. But I don't think there's any Starks left. I think basically the House Stark line, besides this generation with John and uh, Bran and Rickon, is extinct. That seems odd. Yeah, it does seem odd. You would think they'd have big families. I mean, these people, like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, they, they have power like, and resources. They should be able to pump out kids. You would think. Power, but, yeah, power resources. Kids that marry other houses. Like you know, they should have cousins. You know, maybe yeah, twice or three times removed. Um. Yeah, but then again, Ned didn't seem like uh, when Ned was around, his decisions didn't seem to be based on just uh, furthering his family's name. No, but I'm just talking um, about like his his grandfather yeah. or like great grandfather. Would have been there would have been multiple kids. It wasn't just like a series of like only children that happened to be men. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, interesting. But we digress. We oh yeah, I mean we have to. Yes, in order okay. to make this enjoyable. So next we transition to Hot Carl. He's in the creep. John enters. It's a long fight scene where, uh, in typical Game of Thrones fashion, Carl is winning. Uh, then a craster wife intervenes and distracts, uh, distracts or hits, uh, hits Carl, and John is able to kill him in a gruesome fashion, it, completely impractical, but uh, it made for a cool-looking shot by sticking his sword through the back of his head and out of his mouth. John sues the craster wife, and this uh, craster wife actually has the kid, and they exit the uh, the creep to survey the damages, take a body count and wonder what happened to Locke. Realize Rast is missing, so then we see Rast uh, scampering around, including him going past the empty kennel when all of a sudden a wolf attacks him. Ghost uh, suddenly struts into the camp and uh, confirming that John is probably the worst pet owner yep. in the history of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, John then speaks to Craster's wives and implores them to come with him to Castle Black, which they refuse. Instead, they decide to burn the creep. And uh, I don't know where the Craster wives, what the fuck they're going to do. Uh, yep. They're now homeless. <laughs> Uh, with no resources in the middle of the uh, woods, and they don't have any more babies to give to the White Walkers. Yep. So, kind of screwed. Yeah, so let's take this uh, one disaster uh, after another. So yeah, the fight scene goes on too long, uh, but I, I'm going to forgive the fight scene being like, you know, going by the numbers, but what I'm not going to forgive is the goddamn dumb argument that's going on between dirty fighting and castle honorable fighting. We've seen that a million fucking times. Not only did we see it when Braun, you know, fought the guy in the veil, uh, you know, in season one, but we saw it with Bran or Braun training Jamie in this fucking season. Remember how he yes. took his like hand, his golden hand off his wrist and like slapped Jamie across the face. He's like, I can't believe you did that. That's not fair or whatever. And he's like, you know, there's not going to be fair in the battle. You know, people aren't going to be honorable. 
So, like, he's having this fucking conversation again. It's just dumb. Uh, Or just keep your fucking mouth shut. Like, make it about something else, or just make it about you're not taking me alive, you piece of shit. That's it. You don't yeah. need you don't need a philosophical uh, disagreement for two men to fight uh, or have something to fight for. You know they don't have to be fighting for their lives and an ideology. They could just be fucking fighting because you know it's Sean's responsibility to bring this guy to justice, and this guy doesn't want to be executed. That's it. Yeah, and I think it also takes away from the battle because instead of focusing on the interesting fighting. You're having this stupid discussion that we've already had multiple times. It kind of gets in the way of the other thing. Yeah, I guess but. it's for the people in the audience that are thinky people and neat. You know, like, oh, swords don't swords don't interest me. What interests me is a discussion about the virtues of fighting with honor. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, and I had a problem with him getting stabbed in the back of the head. It did look cool as far as like a special effects thing, but I'm pretty sure we saw somebody. I think that's how Podrick said he killed the uh, Night's Guard guy or the King's Guard guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're just I, going yeah, to the same well. Lines, but it's also just like stupidly impractical Oh yeah, as well. Have you I ever mean, tried to stab something that's round? It's incredibly impossible, like a head or a skull. Yeah, just smash his head with a sword. Just I smash don't... it or cut his neck. Yeah, cut his head off. That could have been cool. Yeah. Uh, or stab the flat of his back and just have the the tip come out you know, and pierce his heart. He's not going to be able to do anything. <laughs> like, it's, he'll die. It might not look as quote-unquote cool. Yeah. <sighs> and all of this was show invention as well. I mean... Yep. All just, of it. All, God. Uh, the yeah. whole Crasher's Creep uh, storyline. Story yep. Just awful. And, uh, yeah, the reunion with Ghost, even... I remember this from first time watching it. Go, oh, he's been separated from his ghost for, or his wolf for an entire season. And he's just not like, one, hey. not one mention of it. He's like, "Hey, what's up?" Okay, yeah. good. Okay, you're good. You're back. God, what a piece of shit. How is that supposed to like, like the first thing you know in in like script writing is, you know, is people care about the dog. People will forgive, uh, or people will think that uh, somebody who's a protagonist is a good person if they have a dog. Period. And you know, if the dog dies, you'll instantly have those people on your side. So like pet ownership is something that a lot of people identify with and to like bungle it. Like, like I understand like from a CG perspective, you can't show John hugging ghost because it'll probably be really expensive, but like at least have some like, like excitement or a big smile or, or thank God or something. I don't know. I have him have complained about it once over the last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, oh God. Yeah. All right, so overall, I got to say, my grievance with the show, not only was it inconsequential, but it didn't do anything uh, surprisingly or didn't, there are no deviations from standard tropes. Uh, Brandon seeing John but not being able to reunite with him is just, it's dumb. Uh, you know, uh, John having a showdown with the mini boss, Carl Tanner. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is not surprising. This wasn't new or shocking or so. It was just like paint by numbers. And the women being defiantly wanting to like do their own thing. Terrible. They're, they can't do their own thing. It's the middle of winter. and They're north of the wall. And guess what? There's nobody around. They've already said that several times. There's no villages. They're all they're all empty. Everybody north of the wall is with Mance. 
Yeah, I, I don't. I, they yeah. expressed that yep. concern about Bran. Remember how Sam was like, well, you know, I'm sure it'll be okay. And John's like, no, he won't. There's no one. There's no towns for him to go to. No villages because they're all deserted. Exactly. And what, these ladies just show up? I mean, and they're welcomed into a community? I don't know. Uh, okay, let's do it. Let's uh, put a grade F on this. I think I'm going to go ahead and give it a .5. The reason why I can't give it a zero, uh, which I don't think I've ever given a zero, uh, like I said, is there, even though there was a threat of sexual violence, we didn't see any. So I, I'm going to give a, a thumbs up for that. Yeah, it was just boring. There was nothing offensive. It was just boring and seemed like kind of pointless. So I'm going to give it a uh, dog shit sandwich. Okay, cool. Yep. All right, I'll translate that into a, a .5 as well. So I think this might be the lowest rated uh, episode we've we've had uh, that I recall. At least we talked more shit about this episode than any other that I can recall. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I apologize if the show has been uh, – our show has been a downer uh, because the episode was a downer. You know, uh, Ordinarily, I say uh, poor Carpenter blames his tools, but Jesus Christ, this is bad. Yeah, I mean uh, I think if people are still listening to the show, uh, they're probably cool with us complaining <laughs> because that seems to be uh, the big, uh, a big portion of what we do here. Uh, but yes. yeah, I, I, I can't – I can't see anybody wanting to defend this. I I really wish we would have had a um in retrospect a show only watcher. I know you were show only originally, but I feel like since you read the books, it's all muddled. I would have liked to have had like a third party tell us what they thought about this episode. Maybe it's just you and me uh against the world. Against, you know, and I'll never leave you. Uh <laughs> but no, I I think that we might have uh a, a certain opinion because of our perspective. Um, mm-hmm. So I would have liked to seen, uh, talk to somebody who, uh, you know, maybe they liked it. I don't know. I, I just looked it up online uh, on IMDb, and it got 8.7 out of 10 stars. So Good God. So people like this shit. So that's yeah. why I'm, con- I'm concerned. All right. All right, guys. If you like this episode, uh, let us know on ashamedofthrones.com. You can leave comments. No one's ever done it, but uh, I'm sure it can be done. Uh, also, read, uh, rate and review us on iTunes uh, and Stitcher, if you can do that. Um, but uh, thanks for showing up, uh, Brian. It's been uh, fun, I guess. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sorry, this is a stinker. We'll get it up next week. Yeah, I'm excited for next week, uh, and we will be back uh, next Tuesday for more uh, Game of Thrones fun. Thank you, guys. Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's diarrhea of a TV show. Jesus Christ. I think I'm nothing. Let me try that one more time.